been an exciting journey the entire year, but congratulations, you've made it to the final installment of 1 Corinthians. Give yourselves a hand. You've made it all the way through. You didn't have a choice, but clap for yourself. It's still nice. So it is been great. 1 Corinthians, when church is a dumpster fire, this is the perfect book for Redemption Chapel. I mean, this is a church of messy people. I mean, there are people getting drunk at church. Not that we condone that. But man, that is what was going on here. And God speaking to messy, broken people. And that's what we're about. Watching Jesus write countless stories of redemption for messy people like us. And so if you come in here and your life feels like a little bit of a dumpster fire, you feel like you're a mess and you don't have it all together, grab a donut, grab a seat, welcome home. Right? Like that is what we are about. And so I hope you feel that. And that's where it's been so great going through this book. It's been the perfect book. They, uh, I love that graphic. Somewhere along the way, about halfway through, somebody gifted me a little dumpster fire. You see that? Isn't it cute? I named him Doug. Little Dougie the dumpster fire. He's a cute little flame. my little pet. And so this is Dougie the dumpster fire. So that was a fun little gift. I was trying to think, how do we end 1 Corinthians? I thought I was going to have people... Whoever thinks of the biggest dumpster fire, come up front and we'll vote on whoever the biggest dumpster fire is. And you get to take Dougie home. It started to feel like a bad idea. So I backed off of that. And my daughter said she wanted this. This is coming home with me. But it was, it's been good. And to dive in, as we go into the closing of this book, it is kind of the, he's been tying off kind of little fires along the way. Like, man, this is a raging dumpster fire, and he's been putting out little fires. And he's got kind of one more piece of business, Paul does, to address before he gets into the closing. And in the closing, he gives just this beautiful charge to the church. I hope that we can all hear that, just this powerful encouragement to persevere. But first, he's got to tie some things off. Then he kind of helps us Okay, how do we live this out? How do we persevere? So we're going to look first at one verse as he kind of has something to address. So let's look at this together. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12. He says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. There's actually a ton packed into this verse if you think of the context. Part of what was messed up about this church was they were so divisive. And some people really preferred Apollos over Paul, and he was famous for his preaching. They preferred his preaching style. And what do we have here? Paul encouraging Apollos to come visit because they probably prefer his preaching. I mean, how selfless. Like, imagine church with, like, zero ego. I mean, he is totally kingdom-minded. This is the guy that wrote the Bible. This is his church that he planted, I mean, that he's here as the apostle over. And he goes to Apollo, says, hey, you're probably a better preacher than me. Can you go visit them? That would encourage them. How crazy is that? So that's kind of the setup, and he has to address it because they asked. So they wanted Apollos to come. Paul strongly urges him to go visit, and then it's not, and the answer is no, at the very least not now. Now, for all the type A people wigging out that he left a footnote on the slide, there's a footnote, I see the A, take it off. That was intentional. 
So a little bit of kind of Bible study methods. In your Bible, you might see like those little letters or numbers. Some of those are cross-references. So if there's an A up top and then you see an A at the bottom of the page with the scripture, that's a cross-reference. That's them telling you, hey, this is quoted from somewhere else or this is referenced somewhere else. This is a footnote. And it's the translators telling you, hey, there's something interesting about in the Greek language that we had to wrestle with in translation. That's what that footnote is. And I thought this one was important to leave up because I like what it does in setting up our time. So this footnote, it says, you know, it was not at all his will as in Apollos's to come now. The translators let you know it could also be rendered or God's will for him. See, in the Greek, it's ambiguous. In the Greek, it just says it was not the will. But that doesn't work in English. That's not how English works. So that's the translators letting you, hey, to be fair, it's not very clear if this is Apollos' will or God's will. So we want to let you know we think it's this, but it's not exactly clear. So the translators are wrestling, okay, we don't know exactly. The Greek could go either way whose will this is. And they're wondering, okay, is this God's will? So the Corinthians... They want Apollos to visit. An apostle is encouraging him to visit, and then it doesn't happen. And now they're sitting here wondering, so wait a minute, is that God's will for me? I left that up there in the off chance. You ever wrestle with that? Wondering, okay, is is this God's will for me? It's not always clear, is it? Sometimes it feels ambiguous. There's those times where I desperately want this. I think, I mean, this is a good thing. They want to hear a preacher. They want this. They think it's good. And then it doesn't happen. And people are encouraging you, yes, pursue this. And it doesn't happen. And you're left wondering, so is that God's will for me then? You ever wrestle with that? Somebody shake your head before I'm getting paranoid. Like my life, you know, is all messed up. And you guys have God's will figured out. Right? It's hard to know, man, is this God's will for me? And we wrestle through that, and it's not always clear, is it? Sometimes it feels ambiguous. Well, it happened. I guess that's God's will for me. I know my will is I want this. And we're not talking sin issues. That's where God's will is clear. But like, okay, should I take this job? Should I go to this ministry? Should we have another kid? Should we start this, have, start having children? Why aren't we? And we get this kind of no, not yet. We don't know what is God's will and when's it going to happen? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. I do everything I can to pursue God. I seek his word. I pray. And when I'm making decisions that aren't clear sin issues, you know what it feels like most of the time in my decisions. If you were to ask me, so is that God's will for your life that you did that? Most of the time my answer is, (laughs) well, is that God's will that you took that job? (laughs) Right? Like, doesn't it feel that way sometimes where you're just, we're doing our best and it's not always clear what God's will is? I got to pick that up. It'll bother me the rest of the time. (laughs) So, right? You ever feel messy like you don't have it all together and then you're trying to walk in faith and man, it feels murky. 
Paul's own words that as we walk by faith, our sight, we can walk by faith, but it's through a mirror dimly. It's not always dead clear. Does life feel like that? And so that's kind of the final thing he ties off is we're messy, don't have it all together. Faith feels murky. We're trying to see God in this. What do we do? That's kind of the setup as he gets into this final charge. Here, as we're wrestling in this world, here is kind of the closing punch from Paul. And here's what he leads them. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. What a charge to close. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Look, I don't know what all you're wrestling through. I don't have the answers. I don't know the specifics of what God's will is for your life. I don't know where it's going to go. That problem and that pain you feel, I don't know how long you're going to deal with it. So what do we do? We hang on. We cling to Christ. We cling to him and we continue to trust. Hold on, Christian. Cling to his promises. Know that he hasn't abandoned you. He is with you. And we hold on for dear life as we're trying to figure it out through the storms of life. I mean, this is military language that he gives them. I have a self-imposed quota of how many Braveheart clips I allow myself to use, or else it would be every week. So I'm not going to do a clip. If I did do a clip, it would have been from this scene. If you remember, right, they're trying to figure out they're going to battle. And that's where William Wallace has the idea. He says, we'll make spears, hundreds of them, long spears, twice as long as a bat. And then they go to battle, right? And the cavalry is just barreling down on them. And even, you know, his buddy Amish, the toughest guy sitting there, you see he's about to buckle. And those of you who've seen the movie, you remember what Wallace is saying the whole time. Hold! Hold! Because he knows their courage is fainting, and they are getting to the place. I have no idea what that was. But they're getting to that place, right, where it is, they're about to lose it. Right? Like fear is going to overtake them, and they're about to quit. And he knows he has to tell them, hold on. And that's the call given to us. I know, man, you feel like the Calvary's coming at you. Maybe it's just a financial wave just coming at you. Maybe you're dealing with health. Maybe you're dealing with stress. And what Paul is telling you is, hold on. I know it's scary. I know it's hard. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stand firm in the faith. He tells them this. And he starts with this, be watchful. And part of the reason I went to kind of Braveheart in my mind is because that's military language. When he says, be watchful, it's a word they would use in the military. I want you to get through. I want you to persevere. But part of that, here's why people don't persevere. It's because we've been sold this view of Christianity 
that's just roses and rainbows. It's puppy dogs and prosperity that, oh, once I become a Christian, everything's going to go great. And then something happens and you fold like a deck of cards, I'm out. Paul says, when you become a Christian, you enter a battle. When you become a child of God, you become at that moment an enemy of Satan. He says, be watchful, be prepared for battle. And if you are not, and that's what happens. Something bad happens, and then we get shocked, and then we want to walk away from our faith. No soldier enters a battle and is surprised at the battle. No soldier walks onto a battlefield, and, go, and then bullets start flying. There's bullets out there. There's, don't go out there. There's bullets. It's a battle. And then bullets start flying in your life, and we're shocked. It's a battle. Be watchful. Expect it. Don't let it throw you off. And think of how many times in our own life it's from our own issues, and then we get mad at God. Right? Like, we make dumb mistakes. and like, why, God? You're like, my finances are a mess. I'm like, how do you treat finances? I buy whatever I want. Ah. <laughs> uh... Why is this confusing? But then we get shocked and we get mad at God, but not even our own mistakes, right? Life is hard. And then when bad things happen, he said, I want you to have an expectancy of opposition so we don't fold. I want to tell you about my new favorite word. Got it from Eugene Peterson. It's stick to I, You can Google me. That's a real word, stick to because he wants them to persevere. Do you have some stick to to your faith, or do you just have this prosperity view, and the second something bad happens, you're going to fold? This is a charge and a call to courage, to biblical bravery and courage. And he says, act like men. It doesn't have to be just stereotypical macho men like, I'm a man, I do the outside work and eat meat. It doesn't, that's not what Paul's talking about when he says, act like a man. What does it mean? What is biblical courage? Stand firm in the faith. To be courageous, to be brave, is to believe God in the midst of all your issues of life. Bravery and courage is simply trusting God through the storms. I came across this verse. This is Psalm 62. Power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. You know why this jumped off the page at me? You know what keeps people from God? What causes them to fall away? If you ever heard the philosophical problem of evil? If God is all-powerful and all-loving, my life wouldn't look like this. And then we walk away. What does God's word say? All-powerful and all-loving. And what is courage? In the midst of the battle, to still believe this. To trust God's word to be louder in your life than the problems of this world. So you want to talk about courage, the charge, what he's calling them to? This is how I like to think about it. It is letting the promises of God be louder than the problems of life. Right now in your life, what's louder? The problems you're going through or the promises of God? 
so many. I can't see God because I am so focused and the problems I'm going through are deafeningly loud. That volume is cranked to the hill and we can't see God. So if you think of that volume in your life, is your mix right? What knob is turned up higher in your life? Do you have that mix right? Or are you just focused and blasting and your problems and pains are screaming at you and you can't hear God? Let's get real for a minute. What has a greater effect on your emotional state, your budget or your Bible? What, what affects you more throughout the day? And how many of us, right? Our mix is wrong. We're spending so much time thinking about our issues and we can't hear God in the midst of it. So to be strong, to have biblical bravery, is to simply believe God in the midst of the storm. To let the promises of God be louder in your life and the problems you're going through. And here's the beauty, right, of being born in the image of God. We can choose which knob to listen to. I've been studying a lot of, like, the human mind and the human brain. You know, this is where so many animals, like reptiles, don't have this ability. Like a salamander doesn't wake up and go, I want to be a better salamander today. He doesn't think that way. He doesn't have that kind of awareness. He says, hungry, eat. And some of you are like, my husband is a salamander. Hungry, eat. <laughs> but what we, being born in the image of God, we can choose. He says to fix your eyes on Jesus. If we couldn't control that, he wouldn't ask it. So what I'm telling you is I want you to add intention to your attention. I want you to add intention to your attention. Like, what has your attention right now? And I want you to choose. Some of you, again, it's the problems of life. Some of you, it's the news. Like, you literally just turn off the news. You spend too much time stressing about it. Some of that's literal. But I think beyond that, I want you to think through that. What has your attention? Is it God's word? His promises? Is it fixing your eyes on Jesus? Or are you just worrying so much about the problems of life, the budget, inflation, recession, this disease, this family member, and that's all we do? There's a perfect picture. I think with this biblical charge comes in of Jesus and Peter when they see Jesus walking on the water. I think it's a picture of what it looks like to have courage. Let's look at that passage real quick. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began, and he, in beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I always like to put myself in the scene, right? This isn't myth. This is a story that actually happened. Like, what, they were trying to figure out, is that really Jesus? Like, was it just a joke? Like, that's not Jesus. Peter's like, yeah, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out there. And Jesus is like, 
okay, come out. Ah, and he's climbing out of the boat. Like, can you imagine just that first foot, like hitting the water, what that would have felt like? He's walking on water. What happens? Where does he go wrong? He's walking to Jesus. And what did it say? He saw the wind and the waves. And he began to sink. How many of us are like that? We're trying to walk with him. But the volume on our problems is so loud. We're looking at the wind and the waves crashing all around us. And you feel like you're sinking. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. And let what he says about you be louder than what the world says about you. I literally this week want you to do that. In the midst, when you feel that Calvary, whatever it is, just pushing down on you. You feel like you're about to buckle. I literally want you to do that. Maybe you prefer like this kind of knob. You could do that too. But I literally want you to turn it down and say, nope, you don't drive me. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus that's what he says. I want you to have some stick to I want you to persevere. You do that by fixing your eyes on Jesus. He says to be strong. I love this quote from one of the commentators about the strength that we're supposed to have. Be strong may be passive, as in be made strong. The strength of Christians is not something native and inherent in them. They derive it from God. So when I'm saying be strong, it doesn't mean I got this. I'm a man. Was Peter's confidence in his ability to walk on water? There's no mustering up courage for that. I don't have this, but what I can do is fix my eyes on him and trust when he tells me to step, I'll step. When he says something's true, and even if I can't believe in that moment, I'm going to believe it to be true. That's the courage and strength that he's calling us to. And I do got to address it, right? Because in the middle, he says, I want you to act like men. Does this just apply to men? I mean, I don't think so. Most of the commentators, like, this is about immaturity and maturity and, like, act like grown-ups. And so I applaud all feminine courage. I mean, there are wonderful examples of just female bravery, of Corey Ten Boom. Amy Carmichael, Moana. You see Moana? Super brave, right? That's right. This, of course, applies to both. It's not like men have the monopoly on it, but you can't deny this charge he gives to act like men in the middle of it. And I don't think, especially in our culture of so much toxic masculinity, I got one more quote from Leon Morris that addresses that. In manliness, Paul is not looking for aggressiveness or self-assertion but the strength that shows itself in love. Nothing we do is outside its scope. Love is more than an accompaniment of Christian actions. It is the very atmosphere in which the Christian lives and moves and has its being. So when he gives that charge, that's the charge he's talking about. And I do want to address the guys in the room for a minute, and particularly if you are a married man when he says, Act like a man. Do not 
let the entire burden of biblical bravery fall on, the wife, on, on your wife's shoulders. Right? And we're talking this of trusting God. How many homes, right? The guy runs the budget and mom and the wife is pointing people to the Bible. In your home, don't let your wife be the only one saying, let's point to Jesus, let's have faith. To have, act like a man, biblical bravery is to be at home and be the first one to say, our house, we're trusting in him. I know this is scary. I know we don't know if we're gonna make it or how this is gonna play out, but we're gonna believe him and we're gonna wait on him. Don't let that burden fall just squarely on your wife's shoulders. Be the one pointing to him. That's what it's like to be a man. Not that you're a tough guy, but you're the one that says, as for me and my house, we're serving him. Regardless of what waves come at us. That is the charge to be a man. To believe the promises of God over the problems of life. To make sure in your home the promises of God and his word are louder than the problems of life in this world. So that's the charge given to us. Have some stick-to-itiveness to to your faith. Persevere, trusting him. And then he kind of closes with some other things to tie up. But I really think it helps us kind of understand how can we do this? have this kind of biblical bravery and this courage. Let me read this real quick. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, and together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So how do we help? What do we glean from there to live this out? What do we do? One, some of you got excited because you saw the holy kiss. Like, man, I'm going to start kissing people at church. That's not the takeaway. That's not what I'm asking. Don't be face kissing out in the atrium, all right? He's talking about encouraging each other in the faith. So how do we do this? I want you to persevere. I want you to make it, to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. How do you do that? Well, I can tell you how you don't. You don't do it alone. The Bible was never set up for this John Wayne kind of cowboy Christianity where you can do this on your own and your relationship with God, that's all you need is him. That was never a part of God's design. We are not supposed to go at it alone. So part of the charge for him is to make sure you are connected to a church, getting plugged in to a community. 
catch that? He said, submit to such as these. Kind of most likely what's going on there, those were the elders of the church. Those were the pastors. He's saying, I want you to come under the authority of a church, and I want you to join that community. Is that true of you? Do you want to make it in your faith? Stop going at it alone. You need to come under authority. That is God's design, his provision over your life to be a part of a church and in a community. Did you hear that? We're refreshing each other to encourage each other and to be plugged into a community. If you want to make it like Paul is encouraging us to, make sure you have a community around you encouraging you. And the last thing I want to point out, I love how he closes the letter. So I think this is a big part of something we need to make sure we're doing to get through this messy, murky spiritual battle. He closes with that simple prayer. Our Lord, come. Do you ever know how the entire Bible closes? Like the whole thing. You ever read the last verse? So it's interesting this popped out at me. The way he closes Corinthians... I mean, these are two different authors is almost to the word exactly how the entire scripture closes. You see that? Our Lord come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Yes, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints. Amen. So how do we make it through this battle? We trust him wherever we are. We cling to Christ and don't let go. But part of what gets us through the battle is knowing one day the battle will end. It's a prayer in an eye towards Lord Jesus, come save us. This is hard down here. Would you please, do you pray that? I would encourage you this week to pray that. Just come, Lord Jesus. Will you put an end to all this mess? It's just knowing that this is true. God spoke this over me in a real powerful way recently. I mean, I was having time with the Lord, and it was, it was just discouraging. And I remember praying this to God. Like, I don't know what pain you're going through, but telling God, God, if this doesn't stop, I don't think I'm going to make it. Like, if this never quits, I think it'll break me. I don't know that I can do this forever. God, please, take it away. Make it stop. And then as clear as God can speak to me, God whispered this truth over me and reminded me, it will end. It was too heavy to think about it, carrying this forever. And God reminded me of this. Christian, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever pain you're feeling right now that feels like it's going to crush you, I promise you, it will end. We don't fight forever. We fight now. We cling to Christ. We hold on to him. We say, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to wait on you. And part of what gives us strength in the waiting, whatever you're going through, it will end. Come, Lord Jesus. The whole of Scripture ends with that closing. We're grateful for his promises in his word, and we wait for that day. 
Come, Lord Jesus. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, help us. God, this is messy. It's difficult. What your will for us, God, it feels murky. I don't always know what I'm doing, where I'm going. And in this battle, it's hard. Father, so many right now are just taking shots. God, it feels crushing. God, and so often it's hard. We feel like we're drowning. But God, I pray. God, right now, by your spirit, would we fix our eyes on Jesus? God, would you remind us that one day the battle ends? That one day the blazing sun will pierce the night. That we're going to rise among the saints, our gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. God, help us to know that's true. In Jesus' name, amen.